Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Female Film Critics Panel. And today I'm really excited to have critic Breeze Riley with us. And uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the latest movies and what it's like to be a critic and our experiences. It's going to be super fun. And uh, Breeze, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, to join you today. So this is the first time you've been on. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got started in uh, talking film and, and reviewing film. Yeah, so um, again, my name is Breeze Riley. I'm kind of what I like to consider a, a semi-pro critic. Um, it's not my day job. It's uh, something I do in my spare time, but it's something I'm really dedicated to. Personally, I got, you know, I've always kind of been into writing um, and journalism to a lesser extent. And then as I was kind of leaving college and entering the work world, I was looking for a creative outlet uh, a little different from what I was doing as my full-time career. At the time, my friend Lauren Galloway had just kind of started her own site called The Marvel Report, which, as you can guess by the name, is kind of like a Marvel fan site. Um, and she was looking for people to, you know, review some of the shows, write recaps. I thought, well, I could do that. <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Um, so that's how I kind of initially got into it and was doing that for a long time, uh, working with that site. And then when the pandemic happened, you know, I'd been wanting to kind of expand my writing for a while, branch out to different things, like find new sites to write for. And with the pandemic having more free time, um, it just really gave me an opportunity to pursue that. Also a critic at TelltaleTV.com where I review mostly television, but some movies we co a podcast host on as a part of the DC TV podcast networks. Um, and we have shows for pretty much every DC TV show, um, but I'm a host on the Flash podcast. And then also our HBO, it's DC on HBO Max podcast. So it's kind of a mouthful, but since there were uh, so many little shows going on, uh, on HBO Max, we kind of consolidated them into, into one podcast. So I'll be uh, reviewing Titans and Doom Patrol coming up. Um, I also work on our Justice League Dark podcast, though, if anyone listening has been following that news, we're not really sure what the future of that podcast is. We're about as sure as uh, Warner Brothers is, is about the future of those pro projects. So, Is that Lee? Is Justice League Dark? Is that... I, I didn't even know. Is that the animated show or... What is that? So that is, uh, it was a part of J.J. Abrams' overall deal with Warner Brothers. He was going to, you know, and it has been very unclear for a long time, and I say this as someone who's been following it, that they've been very unclear. Originally, you know, they proposed kind of this universe of shows, and it was going to be like the Constantine, the new Constantine show. Um, they were going to do uh, Zatanna movie, um, Madame Xanadu. So oh, some of these yeah. characters from the comics that haven't really been on screen, but I mean, Constantine's been on screen a lot and will continue to be thanks to Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> but it just didn't really go anywhere for a long time. And then recently, um, they reported that they are going to move forward with doing a sequel to the Keanu Reeves Constantine movie, which is quite shocking. But some of these JJ Abrams projects, they are going to shop for a different home. Um, which I'm not too optimistic about. Uh, they were definitely kind of a victim of HBO Max's restructuring and they're moving away from scripted content. Um, it's been a very interesting time yeah. if you've been following like the DC stuff. Well, I followed the animation side of it because that's kind of my uh, uh, my biggest interest. But uh, and, and then also over at Netflix, you know, they're canceling a ton of the animation yeah. uh, projects and. Uh, there's been so many projects announced for DC, I've kind of lost track <laughs> of them. But I remember hearing about that Santana because I actually really like that comic. And so I was I was interested in it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> we're only getting the Keanu Reeves Constantine sequel, which is random. But uh, Yeah, it's funny because we had just like done a movie commentary, like did a movie commentary of that movie on our podcast like a week before <laughs> before they announced that and you know in none of our wildest dreams did we expect that it would become so relevant <laughs> like is it old enough now that is has it come around that now people are nostalgic about it I mean, um i, I, I old, feel like but... it's gotten a little bit of a rehabilitation you know i think it's still not 
a full cult classic, but I think it's kind of halfway there. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't think it's a good Constantine adaptation at all, but I can appreciate some of the noir elements to it. Uh, Rachel Weisz's performance in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it has gotten kind of a cultural rehabilitation a little bit in the past few years. And of course, the Keanu Sans, I think, has helped rehabilitate a lot of his films. Well, uh, one thing I admire about you is that it seems like you cover both Marvel and DC pretty equally. You have content for both. And do you find that difficult? Do people try to get you to pick a side? Yeah, so I've never, you know, I've never really understood the rivalry to me. They are, you know, so di- so different. I think, you know, with the hiring of uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran as kind of the leads of the DC ship over at Warner Brothers, they are maybe trying to create their own little Kevin Feige system. Um, but to me, they're just so apples and oranges for a long time that it's, honestly, I find the online discourse about like, which is better very, you know, frustrating. I just feel like it's very apples and oranges. You can enjoy both. I clearly do. I I think most people, you know, really enjoy both. Um, You know, I don't love everything DC does and I don't love everything Marvel does, but they put out so much content, the both of them, that Mm -hmm. there's plenty to find within both of them that you can like. So Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, people try to say that I'm a DC hater, but it's not true. I mean, I, I... I like, I love Wonder Woman and I, uh, I like Birds of Prey. I liked, uh, I didn't love Wonder Woman 84, but I gave it a mild recommendation. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I like, I liked, um, Zack Snyder's Justice League. I give that a positive review. So, I mean, there are films that I enjoy from, uh, from DC. I, I just like good movies. I don't really care what corporate structure produces them <laughs> that doesn't matter to me i mean and there's been a lot of uh marvel movies that i didn't care for like especially spider-man far from home was not for me that's one of my least favorites yeah I, I do think yeah to your point there's so much you can like or dislike about both of them that you know and even going, I think also just rooted back as like going back as a kid, like I like both. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. when you're a kid, you're like, oh, it has to be DC or Marvel. You're just a kid liking superheroes. So I don't understand why when people grow up, they think they need to pick teams. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, I feel like sometimes that that mentality from uh, sports has kind of carried over now into into movies and uh, and television coverage uh, that uh, the way that people would talk about they're my team, they're my, uh, in, like they have sort of personal ownership of the wins and losses yeah. of sports teams. I feel like that's kind of the same thing that you have now, instead of it just being a product from a major corporation, uh, it's, uh, it's their, their movie, my movie, my director, yeah, it, which is just kind of bonkers yeah i mean that that kind of coincides with another thing that um as someone who kind of balances being you know a critic and a fan is like the levels of fan entitlement over franchises it's just bonkers to me um I, i think you know being a critic you do have to kind of take a step back and be more objective about things but even as a fan i think you know this culture of um fan entitlement of like demanding things, whether it's a a director's cut coming out or firing someone or putting this out or like recasting this person. I think it just really uh, damages the enjoyment of the superhero movie culture. Yeah. And then when they actually get what they want, I, at least in my feeling is that then they don't really actually enjoy it because it, with the, with the Zack Snyder justice league, finally got what they wanted the hashtag movement whatever worked and then i felt like nobody really enjoyed it (laughs) they they moved on right away to like the next hashtag and the next movement and the next uh and my friend was telling me about that he was talking to a coworker of his and uh and he had been really involved in the uh zack snyder justice league thing and that he didn't even watch it Oh, well, <laughs> it came out like it was all about the movement, not about actually like enjoying the product. And I, I 
I feel like if I was Warner Brothers, I would be really irritated <laughs> that they invested a lot into getting this. And then it just kind of came and went and didn't really, I don't feel like it really mattered the way it should have. Yeah, I think that's definitely a very interesting case study that I'm sure studios mm-hmm. are keeping in mind because, you know, these fan movements are not going away yeah. anytime soon, unless Twitter does, which is a completely yeah. different matter and very plausible. So. <laughs> and it certainly didn't seem to help HBO Max any as far as, like, subscribers, or they seem to be hurting just the same or, or about the same as they would have been otherwise, so... Yeah. yeah, I think it's a, it's a it, well, and also you have to consider that it was during the pandemic when people both needed content and people were waiting for content, like the, the studios needed content. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now there's like nothing but it, there's so much content. <laughs> so it was like a different, it was like a weird gap where we needed something. Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to Family Movie Night, Female Film Critics Panels, or the Talking Disney Podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. As a patron, you get to access monthly events such as the watch-alongs and Q&As, where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for Family Movie Night or even become a guest on the podcast. Podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive, and I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing, and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. I wanted to ask you, so you particularly cover TV, which I must admit I have not really watched any of the the DC uh, TV uh, over the years. Uh, but, uh, how do you think that Marvel has done in introducing, uh, there's these TV shows this year in comparison with like this, the DCCW shows and, and some of the other stuff out there? Yeah. Well, it's a really interesting time because, you know, there's been a lot of can- cancellations with the sale of the CW, which is where, aside from HBO Max, a lot of those DC shows lived. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think the DC structure is already changing to kind of move towards that Marvel model. You know, I think the Marvel, you know, there have been a lot of Marvel shows I've enjoyed. I'll be honest, there's a few of them where I definitely have the thought of this could have been a movie, uh, which I hate to say about TV because I hate the whole this show is a 10 hour movie. Like, I don't want a 10 hour movie. I just want a 10 episode television show. But I think, you know, overall, I think the rollout has been really successful. You know, it's interesting because they're coming up to a bit of a lull now. I don't know what is coming out after for Disney Plus after Andor ends. I'm not sure what the next uh, Star Wars or Marvel show is coming out. So I think there'll be a little bit of a quiet period. Um, But I like some of the unique things they did. Um, If you're familiar with Werewolf by Night, which is kind of the special presentation Halloween episode they did, I thought that was a really interesting use of the TV um, medium that they can do kind of these little almost mini movies where you don't have like the budget, full scale budget of a big movie, but you're not committing to a whole series either. I thought that was a really interesting use of the platform. And they're kind of doing that again with the uh, holiday special. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it's they're only going to be doing this for Halloween. I mean, technically, Werewolf by Night was not a holiday special, but, like, come on, it was. It was a Mm -hmm. Halloween special. Um, So I don't know if they're only going to be using that for holidays, but I think it's a really smart move. Yeah, I mean, and they have some shows that they've announced. I'm not sure when they're going to be airing, like, um, the Agatha show, for example. The, The Covenant of Chaos or something like that. Um, yeah, I know they have a lot in the works, but I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't think they've announced release dates for anything yeah. coming up yet. So For, I guess it's phase five. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is, yeah. Even as you say that, I'm like, is it? I don't know. <laughs> like, there's so many phases <laughs> Yeah, now. I, I think, think that, it is phase five now, though. I think the Black Panther 2 is the end of phase four, I think. You're probably right on that. <laughs> I don't know though. I'm no expert. Um, yeah, I, I have not watched She-Hulk. I just, the discourse was so unpleasant that I was just like, eh, I'll wait. 
and it's a shame because I, I do actually really enjoy the She-Hulk comics. Uh, and I think the show has a lot of potential as far as being this sort of sarcastic Alan McBeal kind of take uh, on a legal show. It could be fun. But I just I just find the whole discourse around superhero stuff to be really mm-hmm. exhausting. Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And honestly, I did review the show. That was one of my issues with it. When they were trying to shoehorn in the superhero stuff, it didn't work as well. But when they just let it be like this kind of quirky legal comedy about lawyers representing people with powers, I actually really liked that aspect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so I think it was one of the bolder shows, I guess, but it didn't quite work for me all the way through the end. Um, but I hope, you know, it kind of encourages Marvel to, to play around with formats a little bit more. You know, WandaVision was also, you know, format uh, breaking a little bit, though towards the end it kind of just went into the same old Marvel drama stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the last episode of WandaVision was kind of disappointing, but uh, especially with the Evan Peters thing, I thought they would, I don't know what they were thinking with that. You know, that... Why not have him be Quicksilver? That would have been fun. I don't understand why. And maybe he they'll reveal some eventually that he actually is. And it's a, I don't know, a twist or whatever. But I felt like making him a joke was not a great idea. Yeah, though I do love seeing Evan Peters get to play someone who's not a serial killer. Like, I know with all the, the Dahmer <laughs> yeah, press, he pretty much true. said he didn't want to play an evil person again. And then Ryan Murphy sent him the script. I just need, I need him to be in more, like, Mayor of Easttown. I don't know if you watch Mayor of Easttown, but, like, those uh-huh. kind of roles. Like, yeah. I feel like he would just thrive, but Ryan Murphy's got him on a short leash. <laughs> yeah, that was, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I, I heard the, the news and stuff of what he did to, for that role. Sounded really intense. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I loved WandaVision. I loved Loki. I thought Loki was so clever and kind of this uh, new take on a sci-fi story uh, with the different Lokis. And, uh, I mean, I'm a huge Loki fan in general. So I uh, I just, I thought that one was a very good one. I liked Owen Wilson, Tom Hiddleston together. They had really good chemistry so that was one of my favorites what which one uh which would you say was also one of your favorites um you know i think for me wandavision still even if the ending was a little uneven still is at the top for me because i think they did so much interesting stuff and it was just really great performance from elizabeth olsen um just as a comic book fan i'm a huge kate bishop fan so i really liked hawkeye i know it kind of got some mixed reviews but i like the whole kind of christmas yeah adventure and i'm not even a hawkeye fan like do not care about hawkeye in the movies but i'm like if this gets us kate bishop fine i will sit through another hawkeye story yeah i really liked hawkeye as well i mean i'm a huge musical fan so like avengers the musical rogers Mm -hmm. the musical i died it was so funny i thought i (laughs) it was great and then i i just i didn't get to see it but i saw clips of them actually performing at d23 I would have loved to have seen that. That's so funny. Yeah, I'm honestly shocked they haven't announced a real musical yet. (laughs) Uh, And so I guess this is the last season of The Flash. Is that right? Yeah, so this next... uh, They have not released... Um, announce a, sorry, I don't know if you just heard my cat. He's uh, (laughs) very ready for dinner. Um, They just... It will be the last season. They have not announced a release date yet. Um, you know, I our podcast has been covering this show since before it started, actually. I joined the podcast, I think, oh my gosh, I think in season five now. So mm-hmm. we've had kind of a rotating host. So I've been covering it f- for a while with some of my colleagues uh, who are also, you know, critics and journalists. Um, so it's it's very interesting to, like, cover one show that long. I think that is kind of the the difference between TV and movies. And sometimes it can not be a fun difference. Um, There are definitely Mm -hmm. shows where I've had to step away from covering them after a few seasons, just because it can be hard. If the show gets stale, so can your criticism. It can get a little hard, but yeah, it's interesting covering a show that long and it'll be 
um, interesting covering this final season because unlike, I think, a lot of the CW shows that were canceled last year or got canceled this year, like, they knew it was going to be the final season. So I'm hopeful that they kind of, can kind of wrap it up nicely. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I, over on Hallmarkies podcast, I just finished covering uh, 15 seasons of Heartland. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was a unique experience because not only did we cover 15 seasons, but we covered it in about, in about two and a half years. So it was because we, we covered three episodes every week. Uh, <laughs> we started in like the middle of the pandemic and then we finally finished in August. It was very exciting. Uh, but it was a, a unique experience to see a whole show play out over the course of a couple of years for us, but 15 years for them. <laughs> yeah, but, that's fascinating. Yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, the superhero uh, discourse can be so toxic. Uh, and I mean, I, I famously had uh, a really negative experience when I wasn't a big fan of Shazam. And uh, so, and people did not like that at all. Um, and it was hard. It was hard. Uh, and I was just curious, like, how do you get through that with the, and stay positive? Yeah, I mean, I would say I've been fairly lucky. You know, I've had a few uh, run-ins with kind of stand culture. And it, it can be, you know, it's really upsetting um, when you kind of have people dogpile on you for stuff. And it's been, for in my opinion, kind of stupid stuff or things that have been taken out of context. I've been lucky that it's not happened to me too many times. I know a lot of female critics and critics of color who've had a lot worse uh, than I have. But, you know, for me, I think part of it is just kind of stepping away and if that means like locking down my Twitter for a few days or like deactivating, like that's what I do. Like, and that's kind of what I encourage other people who are going through harassment too, is to just step away. Like don't mm -hmm. feed the trolls. Yeah. It can be really hard because you know, our natural instinct is kind of defend ourselves or like kind of fight back with people. But you know, I saw a tweet the other day, I was kind of talking about how like, you know, the trolls on Twitter, like they, they want to be humiliated, like they get off on it, which I don't know how true that is, but it's, you know, the idea that like, you're like actually making them happy by engaging. So it's like, why would I do that? Why would I make your life? Why would I give you that power? So to me, like, you know, I would love to hear other people's other solutions, but to me, like that's been the most effective thing for me to just kind of step away from being online and you know I've never had it escalate so badly that people are like sending me you know threats to my email or like yeah. um, you know threatening to put me in danger so I know I'm really lucky on that scale and not it's not as simple as that for everyone that they can kind of just turn off their Twitter and it'll go away but what yeah, seems really to have worked for me I think I finally like nailed it figured it out <laughs> is I usually wait as long as I can before posting my review. So that way I don't like, cause when I did the Shazam one, I was only like the fourth review and I was the first negative. And so it made it ping me. Uh, and, uh, and then, and so now I wait as long as possible. Like I just did this with black Adam. I don't allow any comments on my review and I try to, when I tweet about it, I, I only allow people following me to comment and it feels like those sort of pay paywalls to commenting are enough that people just move on to somebody else, you know, that's easy for them to comment on. And so far it's worked great. I haven't had any real problems. Uh, in, uh, and I also, I do think it's better for me because my Shazam review was on YouTube. And I think I'm a better writer than I am an orator. I think I'm an okay like YouTube critic, I guess. I'm fine. But I think I'm a better writer. And uh, so I do think it helps when I can uh, kind of be very careful kind of about what I'm saying and what I'm writing. Uh, so uh, it, I think it helps that way. I mean, I don't get as many views on a, on a blog post versus a YouTube post, but... I don't really care when you're dealing with that kind of, I, I just feel like nothing's more toxic than YouTube. 
Yeah, I am not, um, you know, sometimes we put our podcast up on YouTube when we live stream, but I'm not personally on YouTube, but yeah, I, <laughs> it seems like a scary place sometimes, so I definitely understand doing whatever you can to kind of discourage any sort of trolls. Uh, your point about posting it later was really interesting because I, I found kind of like on both sides, negative and positive fandoms will really cling to those early reviews. Like even, even if it's positive, they'll be like, Oh look, this move, everyone thinks this movie is great. And they'll point to like one review with like one line in it that says a positive thing. So I can yeah. only imagine like the inverse of them, like being like, Oh, you're stupid. Like <laughs> you reviewed it poorly, even though you're one critic out of hundred. So I'm just going to bully you instead of just like waiting for more reviews to come in and see what other people say. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's fine if they think my review is stupid. I don't have any problem with that. I just don't. When when they take it to that next level of we're going to come and kill you at the next screening, like that's where it, it, it goes. It's too much. It's too much. But if they just think I'm stupid, that's fine. <laughs> but... Yeah. So you got invited onto Rotten Tomatoes. Did 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 you apply or did they just come to you? So I applied. Oh, okay. um, it was actually my second time applying, which I mentioned just in case there's anyone listening who's like, oh, I applied once. Like, I'm going to give up. Like, don't give up. Just go back, you know, keep working hard, working on your uh, portfolio. Um, so I did apply. Cool. Yeah, I I didn't apply. I, they came to me, uh, and, uh, and s- I had written for rotoscopers.com, mm-hmm. which is an animation website uh, for years. And we had done a bunch of series where we had reviewed the whole Disney Canon, the whole DreamWorks Canon. We'd done all studio Ghibli. We'd done all the Marvel movies, uh, as a, you know, writing group and uh, Pixar, I think we did too. And, uh, and so I had quite a bit on there and I think that they had invited a couple other rotoscoper writers and they were looking for a little more diversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first when they sent me the email, I thought it was a goof. I thought it was a joke, you know, somebody tricking me or whatever. And I, and they actually had to email me a second time and say, did you get the email? And I was like, whoa, is this real? I couldn't believe it because I definitely didn't have like enough followers to, uh, to, for that at that time. And, uh, I had just started, uh, I'm, I had, my best was for a Hallmarkies podcast, but at the time still that wouldn't have been enough uh, to um, to for their qualifications on applying. So I had never even applied. And it's been an interesting experience because there's definitely a side of me that has to deal with some degree of like imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. you know, that, oh, I didn't apply, I got in, you know, but I know that my work was was good enough, you know, that I worked, I did all of the work and I, just because I didn't apply, but I think that uh, a lot of critics and uh, writers in general just struggle with that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's what's so interesting about Rotten Tomatoes is, you know, you have critics of all different backgrounds, Mm -hmm. um, of all kinds of sites, you know, some mom and pop small sites, some like big mega sites. Um, But I I think that's good because they're bringing in such, you know, different diversity um, of critics. And, you know, I know people like to rag on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't think, you know, even as an approved critic, I don't think it's the end all be all. Like sometimes when I'm like deciding to watch something, I might like use it to get a sense. And I think it's a good way to aggregate reviews so you can kind of look through them. But I don't think you should, you know, only, you know, yeah. I only watch things above 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Right. Like, I don't think it's that either. Um, but, you know, I think what a lot of people who like kind of rag on it on the internet don't understand is kind of the efforts they do make to bring in those diverse voices and how they're like continually open up, you know, that I think they change their application to once a year now, but they have the application. It sounds like they do some direct outreach as well, that they are kind of uh, committed to making sure it's not just, you know, like the same five white guys who write for national papers. Yeah. And it was a huge blessing in my life because I had been trying to get on the, uh, the press list for Salt Lake uh, where I live uh, for a long time. And I had, I had hustled. I had worked really hard. I mean, I was there, uh, in 
in order to get into the screenings, if you're not on the press list in, in Salt Lake, at least, they have like these raffles, I guess you might say, uh, where you enter and you hopefully get a ticket. And if you get a ticket, then you used to, you used to have to go into Salt Lake to pick up the ticket. Uh, and then, which is about a 20 minute drive for me. So I would, I would sign up for the raffle. I would go get the ticket and then, uh, and then I would be there about two hours early before the movie because they gave out more tickets than they had seats. And so you had to be there early in order to get in. And, and sometimes these were all over the place. There was one that was in Layton, which is like a good 45 minutes from my, uh, I went to Bridget Jones's baby. in Layton. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I'd worked really, really, really hard uh, in in playing that game uh, before I got on the press list. And I really wanted to get on the press list. And it was getting on Rotten Tomatoes that allowed me to get on the press list because they're super stingy about that here, about who gets on the press list. And uh, and then I, I also eventually was able to get into the Utah Film Critics Association. But that took a whole additional year. Because the first time I applied, I was trying to point out the things that I thought would be the most successful, that they would like that. So I was Hallmark, uh, my Disney reviews, things like that. And what I didn't really realize is that, you know, because this is a critics association, they would want more sort of highbrow kind of stuff. Uh, and I had covered Sundance every year since 2016. I mean, I had covered a ton of indie stuff and a ton of... But I, I didn't think they would want that because it didn't have like the views or the, yeah anyway. Um, and so they came back to me the first year and was like, you, you only cover, they thought I only covered like family content. And I was like, no, no, you know, and anyway, so then I waited it another year and I applied again. And this, this time I was really specific to point out all of my Sundance coverage and all of my, you know, all this other stuff and how I tried that year just to cover more R rated and horror and things like that. Uh, and so I got in that year. So that was very exciting. It's like you're saying, if you don't, if you don't get in the first time, whatever you're trying to do, don't give up, keep trying. Yeah, and I think, you know, I am not a member of a critics association. There is one in D.C., but I just quite frankly don't cover enough, a large enough volume of film to qualify. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think there is just so many different paths to take. And, you know, critics associations, local ones are a great one. Yeah. Um, because access, is, you know, when you are an independent critic, freelance critic, access is can be such a hard thing. And it really is about, like finding groups you can join that have those access, building relationships with publicists. But it's like, you know, sometimes it feels like it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Well, especially during the pandemic, those relationships with the publicists helped so much because the, the screener people here, like did hardly anything. I mean, granted, I think a lot of them were furloughed and not working, uh, but they we anything that I reviewed during the pandemic was out of my own hustle through contacting people and Netflix and stuff like that uh, because being on the press list didn't help at all for that part <laughs> it was it was a lot of work getting those because you feel like people are like oh you you get all these screeners and and it is a blessing don't get me wrong but it's also a lot of work you know, to follow up and talk to everybody and find the right person that you need to email and all that. It can be a lot of work. Yeah, I can. Yeah, it's really, you know, and not to ding any publicists because like I'm even at my day job, I'm sure sometimes I'm really good about getting back to people in email and sometimes I'm not. But, you know, sometimes it's like they'll prove you right away. Like and other times it's like, you know, 10 email email chain of over weeks where you're just trying to like get them to send it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it really is true. Well, what do you think about the fact that they are slowly making the MCU a little bit more R-rated all the time? Because you have Deadpool coming in to the MCU. You have, uh, you've got uh, different shows like you were talking about with the werewolves, you know, that are darker. You've got some pretty violent stuff in Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I mean, I guess I understand because that certain characters are just R-rated by nature. So what are you going to do? But I think in building a cinematic universe, it's 
a little bit problematic if you have whole characters, whole stories that are unavailable to a large portion of their audience. Uh, so I think that's the difficulty with like a blade with other things is that mm-hmm. then you have kids who are left out of an, of a whole part of the story. Yeah. I think that is kind of the double edged sword of Marvel's um, kind of philosophy of it's all connected. Like, you know, you look at Moon Knight for an example, which really wasn't, you know, it was a little more violent, a little more adult, you know, I still like, you know, I would like to see Marvel actually do something R-rated and what that looks like because so far we have not seen it. That's that show in particular, Moon Knight, was like very set apart from like the rest of the lore. Like there weren't any, you know, there were a few Easter eggs, but nothing like huge. But yeah, like you, it, I feel like it really does kind of limit you to those kind of stories that aren't central to the the big thing that they're building. I guess it's um, Secret Wars that's going to be like the next big thing in Phase yeah. Five. It makes you wonder if they could do like an animated show that like caught up kids on the story, you know, enough that they could, that they wouldn't be confused. Like maybe that might work. I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, I think, and then kind of when you weigh in, you know, what these creators are promised when they're invited to do the show or movie, like, you know, how does that kind of work with them if Marvel's like, by the way, we're going to water down your story and make it PG, uh, whether that's kind of an edited version or to your suggestion, like an animated version, like how does that kind of impact their relationship with the creator? Um, Because that could really, I think, discourage... um, some directors and writers who might think that they're like getting a chance to do something, you know, you know, they can be very protective of their work. So I think that's another consideration. Well, it wouldn't be like a replacement for it It would just be kind of like a, I don't know, just something because you have a daredevil show coming up. Is that going to be R rated or mature, I guess for, uh, or do you just assume that kids are all sneaking into it anyway? So who cares? I don't know. Yeah. I almost like, at least with the PG 13 stuff, I'm just kind of, I, I am not a mother. I don't have any kids, but I'm kind of convinced that like any kids over the age of like, I don't know, eight are watching that PG 13 stuff anyway, yeah. or at least that's how I was as a kid. Um, so I think they will find a way, but yeah, aside from, you know, Werewolf by night, moon Knight, kind of like those darker characters, blade, you mentioned Deadpool, obviously, I just don't think there are that many characters that need to be R rated. So I imagine Disney's going to kind of hedge their bets and keep things PG 13 in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if someone like the dark Knight or someone you know, can get PG 13, I mean, you can have a lot of, that's a pretty violent movie. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that you can have quite a bit of violence in a movie as long as there's not blood, which always made no sense to me. Like it's the same violent act. Like blood doesn't necessarily make it more violent to me. (laughs) I always thought that was Yeah. Like the blood is implied. Yeah. (laughs) We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies merch store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable Hardy or Hallmarkie in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Hallmark Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash hallmarkies. Would you say you are optimistic or pessimistic about the state of film? Because I think there's argument to be made to be optimistic because we have all these platforms there's so many ways to get your project out there now and there's so many platforms for specific voices that practically everybody has a streaming service that's for their uh their niche you know kind of a thing and so that's like positive i think more filmmakers are getting out there more voices are being heard we're just, there's just more content than we've ever had in the history of 
of the world. <laughs> uh, but the pessimistic is obviously the struggles at the box office, uh, you know, live theaters, uh, I mean, in-person theaters, things like that. You know, you have Top Gun Maverick, but a lot of other stuff has struggled. Uh, so what do you think? Do you think, are you pessimistic or optimistic about it? I guess I am optimistic about film in general. I think there are a lot of creative minds and a lot of good stuff that's getting made kind of despite those obstacles. Uh I'll admit I'm a little pessimistic, I think, about the theater going experience because I don't, you know, with the pandemic, I don't think it's quite recovered. I think you see, you know, not so hard from Warner Brothers, but I think you see a lot of these big studios who are kind of, you know, just the way that they're being bought and sold is not conductive or conducive to good filmmaking necessarily. And I think it kind of, you know, I think indies will keep getting made in finance, but you know, where's those kind of in between movies that are between like the indies and then like, you know, the superhero big blockbuster movies, you know, I don't think that kind of like mid market movie has ever really recovered. And I don't see it recovering anytime soon. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not a snob. Like, I don't mind watching things at home on my TV. Sometimes I prefer that, to be honest. But it is, like, you know, disappointing that I don't think every type of movie is getting an equal shot of being seen um, on yeah. the big screen. I do think there's a lot of truth to that about the mid-budget film that we are seeing going. That That's going to streaming kind of more than... Uh, than almost anything else. I thought it this year, I really enjoyed a film called The Outfit um, that went to Paramount Plus, straight to Mm -hmm. Paramount Plus. And I think that in another day and age could have been very successful. Kind of one of these mid-budget mafia kind of films. It was so well made. It was a really clever script. Very... Uh, very fun twist in it. Uh, great acting, great uh, costumes and everything. I just, I, I thought it was really solid. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely an example of the kind of film that gets lost. Yeah, I, I, I saw that one as well and enjoyed it. Yeah, it's kind it of fun. like, unless the, the studio wants to push it for awards, which that movie wasn't, you know, probably quite at that level. Like, otherwise it just gets kind of forgotten about, which is yeah. unfortunate because, you know, you have Mark Rylance, an Oscar-winning actor, starring, and it just it gets forgotten yeah. about and punted over to streaming. Yeah, yeah. Or even yeah. thinking, um, you know, with like the Knives Out sequel coming, I mm-hmm. think they're doing like a limited, like one or two weeks in theaters, which is great. But there's just kind of like that anticlimactic feeling of like, well, if I wait two weeks, I can just watch it at home. Yeah, we've definitely seen it with rom-coms too, but. And this year, you know, they've been trying uh, kind of a bit of a, uh, a renaissance, I guess. And so far, it actually has been pretty good. I mean, uh, Marry Me did well enough, considering it was day and date release on Peacock. Uh, and then The Lost City did well. And then uh, the latest one with uh, to, to, uh, Tickets to Paradise did pretty well. So I'm hoping that will show them that, like, these sort of mid-budget uh, rom-coms are worth investing in because for so long they were just going straight to straight to Netflix uh, or to Hallmark, you know, a place like uh, that's where they were making rom-coms for years. So I hope we get to see more because I think every genre needs to get out there. needs to have every genre has their fans and there should be movies for, you know, movies well-made for, uh, for their fans. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Like, you use the example of rom-coms, you know, there's been plenty of them on streaming, and some of them are pretty good, but they're not, you know, George Clooney and Julia Roberts starring, or, like, Sandra Bullock starring level, like, movies. Right. Um, So that, you know, you've got to have kind of, like, a variety within that genre. Not every rom-com probably needs to go on the big screen, but yeah, now and then people want to see, like, movie stars be in a rom-com. Yeah, for sure. So... We kind of talked a little bit about it, but uh, do you have, we always ask on the show, do you have an unpopular opinion that you got some flack for? You said you haven't had too much, but. Um, nothing related to my criticism has gotten me too much flack, uh, which I guess that's, you know, the, the good and bad part about being a smaller critic. It's like, if you do say anything that makes people mad, they don't really notice they kind of leave you alone 
Um, you know, I, one thing, this is not quite what you're asking, but one thing we deal with, uh, on the flash podcast that I co-host is a lot of times when fans are unhappy with the show, they kind of direct that criticism towards us because they kind of feel like, you know, we're their voice. We need to kind of be sharing the same opinions that they do. And we do, uh, provide listener feedback. We always read listener feedback at the end of the episode, um, but, you know, there's kind of, like, that boundary of, like, when you do have, like, that, I guess, parasocial relationship with, like, your readers or your listeners of being, like, okay, well, yeah, we want your opinion, but that doesn't mean we have to have the same ones. Yeah, and I was thinking about it with Black Adam. The discourse has kind of been uh, critics versus audiences. That, oh, well, audiences are right. Even though they didn't give it that high of a cinema score, it was a B plus, I think, which in the world of... It's not that high in the world of cinema scores. Uh, and so, you know, that all oh, well, the the fans are right. The critics are wrong. They're up in their Ivy Towers. And I mean, I, I think that, that first of all, for most credit, I mean, for most audiences, they go to a movie and they're expecting to enjoy it. Like you usually don't as an audience, you don't see movies that you're not interested in seeing it. And, and like critics, of course they, uh, they, they should. And, and I think for the most part do keep an open mind and are always happy when they see something that they're not, maybe not as anticipating and they end up liking it, but still they have to see everything. Right. (laughs) It's just a different, it's a different mindset of going into the movies of whether, uh, I know it's just a different thing of like, I'm choosing out of all of the movies to see this one movie versus I have to see everything. And what do I think of this movie? Yeah, it's definitely a balance because you, mm-hmm. you know, you never want to write a review solely from the point of this wasn't for me because like, you know, we have to review a lot of things that aren't necessarily for us. Right. Um, but also it's, it's your criticism. There has to be some personal elements in there. In addition, you can't just be a hundred percent technical of like, oh, the CGI didn't work or, like, the lighting choices were bad. Like, you know, there has to be a little bit of personal within the criticism, too. Yeah, I really struggled recently with a movie, uh, the Banshees of Insurin uh, movie. Uh, uh, and I I think I did end up going – I first I was actually rotten on it, and then I kept thinking about it, and I was like, it is a really well-made movie. It's just not particularly my my style of movie. It's – I didn't love it, but I recognize that it is very well made, very well acted. I laughed enough for to enjoy the experience, but I would never watch it again. It's just not for me. But mm-hmm. so I really struggled, like, what to do with that movie and with that review. And I went back and forth, back and forth. I finally did go fresh on it with a mild recommendation. But uh, but sometimes it's hard you know, to know uh, what to do with a movie. <laughs> it can be tricky. Yeah. Yeah, if that's like one takeaway that I would like people who read reviews and think that every reviewer's decision is like, actually, we like put a lot of thought into our reviews. We kind of go back and forth on things um, because that is our ultimate objective is to make sure that it's a, a useful review, not just to us, but to the people reading. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also like to talk about on this show something that we're proud of that we've made or, or written. Uh, and, uh, did you have anything you could think of that, uh, that you think, Oh, that was, that was a really well-written review or something like that. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I do a lot of week to week reviews, so it can be hard to kind of like pull out what was the, the best one. Um, but uh, speaking of WandaVision, again, not to make it sound like I only watch Marvel DC shows, you can uh, check out my work. I review a lot of other types of shows, too. But uh, when that was airing, I did get to write a feature about uh, the show's approach to grief, which is very personal to me. So a little different than a, than a review that I uh, really enjoyed reading and uh, you know resonated with some of the people who read it. So I think that's always nice when people can kind of connect with you through your work. Yeah, that always feels good. I I had a uh, a experience like a really cool experience with that with in 2020 there was a little movie called Words on Bathroom Walls and I 
I really enjoyed it. I thought it was moving. And I had written in my review that I I was just honest about that I didn't know really anything about schizophrenia and I didn't know if because it's the lead character in the movie has schizophrenia and uh I I just didn't know anything about it so I didn't know like if this is a, like an insulting portrayal or a good portrayal or you know whatever so I said I'd love to hear from somebody that has or know someone or or you know about the about the movie so I put it in there and a, a, a couple of days later I got an email from someone who has schizophrenia who was writing and said how much he loved the movie and and, uh, and so I, I invited him on the podcast and I put him on Hallmarkies podcast because it was the pandemic and we kind of needed needed things to talk about even though it was a Hallmark and as a bonus episode and I just knew it would get more ears uh, that way so I wanted it to be on that. Anyway, so we talked to him, and it was great. It was a great experience. And then the uh, um, the director, uh, it, Thor Frudenthal, he's his name, uh, it, he happened to hear it, and he, and then he ended up coming on the podcast. And so there was just like a super cool, positive experience where I got to talk to uh, we got, we got to talk about, you know, the stigma around mental health and, and, uh, and, and what we could do to make it better. And, and it, that, that may, those mo- moments like that are what make it worth it. All the grind. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah. a lovely story. Thank you it for was, sharing. It was really cool. So there we go. Well, let us know if you're listening, what you think of all the things we talked about uh, in the comment section or on Twitter. We'd love to hear and, uh, and Brizu, where can people find you in your content? Yeah, so you can find, I share mostly everything on my Twitter account, which is at Breeze Riley. Um, you can find my reviews on TelltaleTV.com, um, occasionally on the MarvelReport.com, and then uh, on the Flash podcast. Uh, once that comes back, we'll be uh, releasing new episodes every week. So if you're a DC fan, check out DC TV Podcast Networks. We have a podcast for every show, even if I'm not on it, you're feel, feel free to listen to that one too. Very cool. We'll have all that in the description. So also check it out and you can find me at Rachel's reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. Check that out. I'll put a playlist to all our female film, film critic panels uh, in the description and make sure that you check out me on the Hallmarkies podcast as well. Uh, I have a lot of fun over there. We're covering Christmas, so it's great. <laughs> and if you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That really helps us out a lot. And if you are listening on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have the patron group and merch store where we have tons of festive designs. Plus, in the merch store, you can get the female film critic panel uh, logo shirt, uh, which is really cool looking, in my opinion. (laughs) So check that out. And uh, thanks so much, Breeze. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Bye.